can sit down. It's going to be a prop. Good afternoon, church. My name is John Michael Becker. Um, thank you. I'm one of the deacons of the church. I've been attending New Philadelphia Church for almost four years now, and I serve uh, full-time with the orphanage ministry. As most of you now know, Pastor Christian and his wife, Erin, they're in the States, so I will be guest speaking for this Sunday. Uh, it's a privilege to be up here, and this is a message that has been stirring in my heart for a few weeks now. It's actually been alluded to by our sister Erin uh, last week during Kingdom First prayer meeting, and last Friday as well, Brother John Newfeld uh, spoke about some of the things I'm going to reiterate today, and even this morning, Anita leading prayer for Sunday Swim, alluded to some of the things in this message. So I pray and I believe that this message will be a blessing to you all and that this church is going to go to another level through this message. Uh, for those listening to the podcast, the scripture reading was Isaiah chapter 1, 15 through 17, and Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. Before we proceed with today's word, let me take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for just the love in this place, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit and your presence here. God, we pray that you quicken the word within me. Pray that you grant me, Lord God, just uh, clarity as I speak. Grant me boldness, Lord, and I pray let the church, Lord, may you open the heart uh, and the ears and the eyes, the heart, the soul, the spirit of every person here and every person that is listening to this message over podcast. We bless your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, pop quiz. It's pretty easy. It was alluded to in the call to worship, and Pastor Marcus repeated it during uh, the congregational prayer. So if you know it, speak up, except for Brady and Pastor Marcus. What is the foundation of God's throne? Righteousness? Justice. All right, good. It's good to hear that all of you are on cue. Let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 97. This was the scripture that we spoke out quite boldly during the call to worship. Psalm 97. I'm going to read verse 2. says this, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Turn your Bible back a few pages to Psalm 89. We're doing this just for uh, emphasis. Psalm 89 verse 14. I'm going to read this for you all. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That was Psalm 89, 14. This is the word that I feel the Lord wants the church to meditate upon today. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. Now let's take a moment and step back. Scripture is very clear about this. What is the foundation of God's throne? It is justice and righteousness. But what would we say today that the church, the universal church, not just New Philadelphia, but the universal church, what does the universal church emphasize? Okay, I'm, I'm going to 
speak for myself. <laughs> uh, I would say first and foremost, what you see in almost every church around the world, no matter the denomination, is there's an emphasis on church attendance and upon the sermon. I think you can go into any church and you will find there's an emphasis upon that. Without church attendance, you don't have a church. Uh, and typically there's the sermon, no matter what type of service it is. I would say for the more healthy churches, the healthier churches, you will find more of an emphasis as well on tithing, praise and worship, reading the word, and Bible studies. I think most of you can agree with that. Healthier church, you start to see a bit more than just attendance in the sermon. And then for the next level, I think you'll start to see prayer being emphasized, accountability, discipleship, and even missions. What do all these things have in common? I'm going to list them again for you all. Church attendance, sermon, tithing, praise and worship, reading the word, Bible studies, discipleship, accountability, prayer, and missions. What all of these, except for you could say missions, have in common is that they are righteous acts. They are considered righteous acts. They are all about making us better people. Very simple definition of righteousness. If you didn't know what righteousness meant, and this is probably not the seminary definition, but... It pretty much sums it up. Righteousness is being right with God. Pretty simple. Being right with God. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, it would say moral, ethical, obedient to God, things like that. But the basic definition is being right with God. And the church today, and I'm speaking again universally, the church tends to emphasize that if we do those above things, if we attend church, if we read our Bible, and if we pray... And if we have discipleship even better, then we are right with God. We are doing a good job. And I want to say and make clear that all those things that the church emphasizes are, in fact, wonderful things. And that through these things, you will be able to know God more and you will be able to know God's call for you more clearly. But I also want to add that there is a danger in only allowing those things to be emphasized. You see, there's a certain group of people in this word, that emphasized those righteous acts. In fact, they were very, very clear about following each and every one of those righteous acts, including missions. And that people group was the Pharisees. The Pharisees. The word Pharisee can be translated as set apart, a separate person. And that meant to just signify who, what type of people these were. These people were so religious so righteous that they were set apart from the others. They not only read their Bible, they had it memorized. They prayed, they fasted, not just once a week, they fasted twice a week. They tithed, they, they attended church, they made sure the Bible was being taught. And Matthew 23.15 says that these men would travel across land and sea in order to convert someone. They had the mission's heart. Did you know that? The Pharisees, many of these people, the Pharisees, they held to the belief that if they observed these righteous acts that the church today still emphasizes that they were right with God and they followed these righteous acts religiously, religiously. They were held in high honor by those around them. In fact, they were held in such high honor that many of the people of the day, especially those struggling with their walk of God, felt inferior to such men. 
But despite doing all these righteous acts that today the church still emphasizes, these men happen to be Jesus' greatest enemy. Jesus never minced words when it came to criticizing the Pharisees. I want you to turn your Bible to Matthew 23. This chapter is loaded with just harsh criticism against the Pharisees. I'm going to point out one verse, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 23 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, the Pharisees were so caught up in their righteous acts that they tithe everything. Mint, cumin, dill, what these things are, are little plants that you would have in your garden, little tiny plants. And the Pharisees were so religious about making sure they were doing their righteous acts right that they would take their plants and clip off 10% and put it in the offering. That was how righteous these men were. But what they didn't know was that while they were being so busy carrying out their righteous acts, that they were ignoring the world falling apart around them. They were blind to the injustice around them. The foundation of these Pharisees was off. It was way off. So here's a chair. Yes, we have a chair right here. Okay, it's not that heavy. Okay, I'm going to set it down in a minute. All right, these legs are the foundation of this chair. Without these legs, you have no chair. You cannot sit upon it. Now let's consider justice and righteousness as the foundation of this chair. What happens if you remove justice from the equation? Do you have a chair? Do you have something you can sit on? Instead, you have something that is crooked, something that is going to collapse if any pressure comes upon it. One of the greatest reasons why the glory of God is not falling into the church today is because the foundation cannot hold it up. The foundation of the throne is crooked. It's off. It's based upon righteousness while justice is neglected. The emphasis of righteousness over justice has become so strong that many churches are in danger of crumbling down like that house that you see behind me. Perhaps Jesus' clearest illustration of the divide in the church between justice, the need for justice, and the acts of righteousness is found in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think most of you are familiar with it. It's in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to just re-say it for you all very briefly. You have a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's, he's mugged. He's attacked, he's beaten, he's robbed, he is left for dead. This man is broken and bleeding on the ground, and he looks almost like a corpse. And Jesus speaks that along came a priest. 
Now, a priest was a man who ministers in the temple. And he comes and he sees this broken, bleeding man in front of him. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road. Next comes a Levite. Now, who is a Levite? A Levite is a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of the word of God. And he comes forth and he sees this man broken and bleeding and dying on the ground. And he, too, passes by. And we all know the third man is the good Samaritan. The Samaritan comes. He sees the hurting man and he binds up his wounds. He ministers to him. He places him on his animal. He takes him to the inn. He gives enough money so that this man will be fully healed. He takes care of this man. He makes sacrifices. And I remember reading this passage so many times growing up, and I get so angry at the priest and the Levite. What were they thinking? I mean, how how evil can you be to see someone dying and just pass by? Would I ever do that? Thank you. What were these men thinking? What was the priest, what was the Levite thinking? Well, let me give you my interpretation. This is what I think that these two men were thinking. If you didn't know, in the Old Testament, there were very strict rules about touching blood. Blood was considered the life stream, the life flow of a being. So if you were to touch the blood of a person or of an animal, or even your own blood, you would be considered unclean until evening. Unclean. What does it mean to be unclean? Well, because you touch the blood, you are now defiled, and now you cannot touch anyone. Now you have to go outside the city or outside the camp, and you have to wait until evening, and then you can go in and you can wash yourself. There were very strict rules in the law about touching blood. So I imagine when the priest came forward and he sees this man beaten and dying on the ground, he looks and he thinks, if I touch this man, I'll be unclean. If I touch this man, then I cannot enter the temple of God today. Then I cannot minister the role that I'm called to minister. I cannot do the acts and the duties that I'm called to do as a priest. This is too much of a sacrifice. My acts of righteousness, my duty in the temple is too important for this man. I must pass by on the other side. And then the Levite comes, and he too has the same thoughts. He sees this broken, bleeding man, and he thinks, oh no, if I touch this man, then I cannot touch my disciples today. I cannot teach the Bible. I cannot share from the word of God. My, my, my acts today, my duties, they'll be completely canceled out. I can't touch this man. I'll leave him to someone else. And he too passes by on the other side. The priest and the Levite were likely so wrapped up in their righteous acts and their duties for the church that they were blind to this broken and bleeding and hurting man. They had become ignorant that God's heart was actually much more for this man than for anything else in their life. They didn't realize that God's heart was breaking for this man. They didn't realize that while God honors their ministry and he honors their Bible studies and he honors just the things that they do, those righteous acts, his heart is so much more for the victim of injustice than for just simple obedience. Also, we don't read of either of these men being upset. When they saw this man broken and bleeding on the ground, we don't read of them, their hearts being moved or them thinking of of the person at all. 
They were just wrapped up in their righteous acts. And likely they were so busy with doing the roles of the church that they never thought of the orphan. They never thought of the widow, of the sick, of the oppressed, of the, of the victims of injustice, the homeless, the poor. Likely when they heard about some trauma in another country, like say the Philippines, they just shrugged. I'm too busy. I got to just keep on doing what I'm doing. I got to keep going with these righteous acts. And by them ignoring that broken man, by them ignoring the cries of the orphan and the homeless and the hungry, what they were doing was not just ignoring injustice, they were tolerating injustice. By them ignoring the victims, they were tolerating injustice in their society. They were allowing it to continue on. And I believe this is the word that the the Lord has for the church today, not just New Philadelphia Church, but for the church around the globe. That if we want to experience the full weight of his glory, if we want to see him come and sit upon his throne and reign, not just in our personal lives, but in our churches, in our communities, justice must be valued. We must see justice happening. And I just want to say, just as an encouragement, because this is a heavy topic, that I'm really encouraged by this church. And I see that as we are praying and as we are seeking the Lord, God is already putting seeds of justice in this church. It is amazing that we have already sent five people to the Philippines to work and and just the madness of the typhoons. And it is wonderful that we are able to send a team to Pattaya to serve just the prostitutes and the bar girls there in Pattaya and to evangelize. These are things that had not been happening in the church before. And I believe that as we are really pursuing the spirit of God, he's just by his grace, he's putting it in us. And just today, Brother Marcus was led to pray, not just for us and for our righteous acts, but we were led to pray for the nations. We were led to open our eyes and not look just at ourselves, but to look to the hurting around us, to make a change in the society. There's a wonderful quote that I once heard, and I'm going to share it for you all today. It has to do with worship and justice. And he says this, You can't talk about worship and sing to this awesome God If your life doesn't show, there is a loving, awesome God. Let me repeat that. You can't talk about worship and sing to this awesome God if your life doesn't show there is a loving, awesome God. So a church without bringing justice to the community, it's not worth being labeled a church at all. A church without bringing justice to the community isn't worth being called a church at all. So what do we do, church? I remember when I'd hear messages like this, and not often, but I would always get stirred and kind of that guilt, or like, what do I do? You know, do I throw together a homeless outreach? You know, do I gather a bunch of people to pray and fast for the oppressed? Do I plan consistent hospital visits to pray for the sick and for the hurting? I mean, let me tell you, all those things are wonderful, and I believe that they're going to start to happen in this church that we're going to see ministries really coming forth. But I don't believe that's what God is looking for, first and foremost. I believe that God's call for the church is not just to act, but what he's calling for is for us to give him our hearts, for us to ask God for a heart for the victims of injustice. What God wants first and foremost from you is your heart. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to share three effective keys to fighting injustice. Three effective keys that the church needs to receive and walk in. 
The first key to fighting injustice is having God's heart for the victims of injustice. If you're going to fight injustice, you must have God's heart. Mother Teresa once said, she's a very wise woman, she said, it is not the magnitude of our actions, but the amount of love that is put into them that matters. It is not the magnitude of our actions, but the amount of love that is put into them that matters. And I'll tell you, for me personally, when I came to Korea at the end of 2005, I moved right into my orphanage, uh, the children's home, and I didn't know any of the 80 children, and I couldn't speak a word of Korean. And so I couldn't really connect with the kids right away. But I came with a heart that I was just going to love the kids as much as I could. And I was going to be God's hands and feet to them. But what I knew was I could try all I wanted at the surface and the physical. But without God's love working through me to these kids, my actions had very little power. And so I would pray and I would ask God, please give me your heart for these children. Grant me your heart. It was a few months later that I was asked to give special sharing at this church. I was asked to share my testimony and to share God's heart for the children. And I remember that Sunday morning when I was still at the home and I was praying about what to share that day. God put it, he just poured out his heart of love for my kids. I experienced it for the first time. I just felt his love for my kids just so detailed, so deep, just sweep over me. And I will tell you guys, I wept. (laughs) I broke. I was so consumed with God's love for those children. You see, I already knew their stories. I already knew how they were abused, how they were abandoned, they were rejected, the fear, the different things that they were living with. I already knew just that their background, I had been with them, but there was a difference when I felt God's love for them. It was so deep, it could not be measured. It was so strong that when I looked at the children, I could no longer tolerate the injustices that were happening in their lives. I could no longer just pray simple prayers for them to know God and for them to be healed. But instead, when I looked upon them, I would feel God's love for them and I would feel their fear, their terror, their shame, their rejection. And I could not tolerate it any longer. I had to pray. I had to cover my kids. I had to intercede for them and claim God's promises for them. My prayers for the children went from just being, God, save these kids and touch them. And to God, you are a father to the fatherless. You set the lonely in families. You love the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. And Lord God, I speak your love and your mercy ministering to each and every one of these kids. I speak revelation of your love into their lives. And the prayers were a lot stronger and a lot sterner than that. And they've been continuing to grow as God's been giving me his heart. It's as we receive his heart for the broken and the needy that fire will begin to burn in our hearts. Our prayers are going to change from just simple intercession out of obligation. It's going to change into passionate warfare out of love and justice. That it's not going to be, okay, church, we're going to pray for Indonesia and the earthquake. All right, let's pray. God, bless them. God, touch them. You know, guys, I'm so often guilty of these types of prayers. It's going to change from that because when you experience God's heart for the victims of injustice, for the victims of the the earthquakes in Indonesia, as you feel their pain and you experience just, just their hopelessness and their despair, you have to pray and you have to get, you just get excited. And your prayers go from just simple intercession into loud warfare, 
passionate prayer because it is no longer your little bit of love going through you. It is God's love being poured out from you. So the first key to fighting injustice is to have God's heart. It's to have his heart. John 15, 5 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask of me whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and my words remain in him, I will do anything he asks. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Without the love of God working through our hearts, we are unable to love the victims of injustice. The next key to fighting injustice is knowing that it is first a spiritual battle. The second key to fighting injustice is knowing that it is first a spiritual battle. So now you have the love of God stirring within you. How do you respond? Do you just run out and try and make the world right? Or do you look to the Lord? Ephesians 6.12 makes it very clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the demonic armies of the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against Satan and his, just his soldiers that are oppressing this world. Our battle against injustice is not with the corrupt politician or the abusive father or a prejudiced society. Our battle against injustice is against the demons that are influencing these people and leading them in that way of thought. I'll tell you all, every Friday afternoon I meet with a few intercessors and we pray for North Korea. And if you want to get stirred up for victims of injustice, pray for North Korea because that nation is the epitome of injustice. And sometimes when we pray, God will give me a glimpse into that spiritual realm that I'm talking about. And I won't just see the people and the victims of idolatry and those in the concentration camps and the children that are starving in the streets, but I'll see the demons that are hovering over them. And I'll see those demons and their long, sharp teeth and their big smiles over what they possess. And I'll know just God's heart against them, his heart against the victims of injustice. And this is where you get scripture, like Psalm 58, which says, Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out the fangs of the young lions. Scripture in Psalm 144, Send forth your lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. These aren't prayers prayed against brothers and sisters or against people. These are prayers prayed against the demonic forces. Our battle is not in the physical. It is first in the spiritual. We need to ask God for revelation of the spiritual realm. This is a, this is a deep, this is deep, guys. I'll tell you, at my home, there'll be times when I'm with my kids, and I'll just get really frustrated with them. They'll be cursing. They'll be rebellious. They'll just be acting like kids. And it will be really hard on me. And I'll just want to give up. I'll just, enough of this. I've tried with these kids over and over and over. And just look at how they're acting. And I'll have to get away. And what I have to do every time is I have to go up into my apartment and just pray. And say, God, look, I'm looking at these kids right now. And I just see a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of bad kids. I see, I'm sorry, I see a bunch of kids that are just evil, they're just rebellious, they're not listening, they're not growing, I don't see any fruit. I, I can't love them. But I'll say, God, I know that you don't look at them on the physical, you look to their heart, and that you see their scars, and you see what's happened to them when they were little children, even in the womb, you saw the rejection that they endured, and you see their insecurities, and you see their failures, and your heart breaks for them, and you died on the cross for them, you love them dearly. 
And God, I need that heart. I need to see these kids as you see them, not as I see them. Because when I look at them, there's very little compassion. But when I look at them through your eyes, my heart breaks for them. And I'm able to love. I'm able to persevere. I'm able to continue on. And this is what the church needs today. We need to say, God, don't just give me your heart for the victims of injustice, but help me see them as you see them. Help me see that this is a spiritual battle, that I need to wage war against those demons, against just those evils that are hovering over these people. And the next key for fighting injustice is knowing that it is God's will to bring justice to the earth. The third key for fighting injustice is knowing it is God's will to bring justice to the earth. Injustice is not God's will. It was never in his plans. It's not that God is just happy, oh look, there's suffering people, there's hurting people, I'm just going to let it go. God is not asleep. His heart is for justice. For this, I want us to turn to Isaiah 42 and read prophecy of Jesus Christ. The scripture is repeated in the Gospels. Isaiah 42, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. God wants justice. It's not a matter of us pleading. For it. It's not a matter of us saying, oh, God, please come. Please bring justice. Please take care of the orphan. Please take care of the homeless. To pray such prayers is to say that God doesn't care, that God's sleeping, that God is just apathetic, and that we have to cry out for him to care for these broken. But the truth is it's clear in God's word that his heart is for the broken. His heart is for the homeless, for the naked, for the poor for the needy, for the oppressed. And his heart goes out to them deeply. And what I train my my orphanage volunteers every time is that the reason why there is still pain and suffering in this world, it's not God's fault. It's, It's the church. You see, God's love is so great for us that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. The son of God humbled himself to come down to endure all rejection, all shame, all poverty. He endured hell itself on that cross, all pain, all suffering, that we might be free. And when he went back up to heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. You are now my hands and my feet. I have given you the keys to victory. I have given you the authority to exercise justice here on earth. Now it's your turn. And the reason why we still see so many homeless shelters, why we see so many orphanages, why we see so much injustice in North Korea, in China, all throughout the world, is because the church is asleep, not God. God's heart is yearning for these people. His heart is going out to them. And it's as we pray and as we align ourselves with his heart and with his will that we will be able to change this world. We will be able to do mighty things.
A key in spiritual warfare is knowing that our warfare is not with God. It's with the enemy. That when we go into warfare, we are not looking at God and saying, Come on, God, do this. Come on, God, do this. Our warfare is not with Him. Our warfare is with the enemy. And He has already given us the authority and the grace and the strength to overcome. And what we're called to do is not pray and plead for victory. but We're called to engage the enemy. We're called to proclaim God's justice to the, to the nations, his promises for his people. We're called to rebuke the enemy and claim that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, South Korea and all who dwell in it. We're called to exercise the authority of his truth, of his scripture, and cut through every lie of the enemy. If we want to see justice come to this earth, we have to stand up and know God is fully behind us. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to think, oh, well, will God support me if, if I visit the, you know, the people in the hospital and pray for them? Will he be with me? Of course he will be with you. And he will be pleased with you. And it's not a matter of, of how good you do and, and all your efforts. It's just a matter that you tried. It's a matter that you were moving in his heart, that you were obeying him. And he will honor that and he will bless you and he will give you strength. I'm telling you, he'll be so much more pleased with you than if you had done a million Bible studies on your own. God wants justice to this earth. I want this message to really transform how the church prays for the sick, how we pray for our family members. That when we pray for our mother who doesn't know the Lord or our father who doesn't know the Lord, that we're not begging God that they get saved. We're not saying, oh God, please win, God, help. Instead, we're standing on God's promises that he has come to save all. His heart is for them. And we need to know that in 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this, In their case, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4. It's not God that's blinded them. It's Satan. Our battle is not with God for the salvation of our family. Our battle is with Satan. And we need to engage the enemy. We need to begin praying prayers that are commands, that are attacking and saying, get your hands off them. And I speak their eyes being opening, their hearts being open to you. I speak your love invading their life. I speak justice to them that they will no longer be owned by Satan, by the prince of darkness, but they will be owned by their true creator, by the one who made them in his image, the one who loves them and died for them. There is power in these prayers. Now, I'll tell you, there's a spirit of justice that God desires to pour out upon his church. He wants us to know his heart for the oppressed. He wants us to see into the spiritual realms and not be weak in battle, but to see our enemy and to engage him. And he wants us to know that he has given us the authority that we need to overcome. That if God is for us, who can stand against us? It is as justice is set as the foundation of the church, along with righteousness, that we will experience the full weight of God's glory falling upon the church. Let me pray. I'm going to invite the praise team up. God, we exalt you, Lord, and we thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you are a loving God, that the, the foundation of your throne is justice and righteousness that you have compassion and mercy for the weak and for the blind and for the deaf, that your heart is with them, God, that your heart goes out to them, Lord. 
And we thank you, Lord God, that you are not cold, you are not apathetic, Lord God, but you are looking, and you are looking for your church to pray. You are looking for your church to receive your heart, to be touched by you, to be consumed by you, and to go out and to exercise the authority you have given us. And Lord, we ask right now for your spirit of justice to be poured out upon this church. God, we repent, Lord God, of focusing so much on the acts of righteousness that we have, Lord God, been blind to what is happening around us. We repent of this and we pray, Lord God, let justice and praise, Lord God, become our embrace. Let them consume us, Lord Jesus, and let us go forth and be your hands and feet, your powerful hands and feet, healing, Lord God, those who are sick, Lord God, casting out demons, Lord God, and proclaiming light for those who are in darkness. Lord God, we pray that you raise up the standard in this church, that you build us up, Lord God, in your heart. We worship you, Lord God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.